Hello and welcome to Scott Rock. Where your hosts from Climb Scotland, Robert McKenzie and me, Cal McBain, catch up with climbers every two weeks who have different epic tales to tell us. We hope you enjoy the show. And remember, when you're out climbing, be safe and do your buddy checks. Hello. Hello. Is anybody out there? Yes, we at Scott Rock are wanting to hear from you guys. And it would be really nice to know kind of what you guys think, get your feedback on what the podcast needs, what's good, what's bad, what you don't like, what you do like, uh, who you want to hear from in the future, that kind of thing. Um, so please, yeah, leave your comments. Uh, send us an email, either robert at mountaineering.scot or callum at mountaineering.scot. Let us know what you think. We want to hear from you. Um, but let's get into it. Today's episode, episode number 21 with GB Team International Competition Climber, Hannah Smith. Um, I've known Hannah for, for a good long while now. Uh, I've seen her coming up through the ranks starting climbing, getting strong, getting on the GB squad uh, and competing internationally and just seeing her progression has been awesome. I get the feeling that this is going to be a completely different world to what our a lot of our listeners are used to. Um, so this should be really interesting. So yeah, sit back, grab a cup of tea and enjoy the chat with Hannah Smith. Right, yeah, I, actually, I'm not quite sure how to start this. Um, I, I pondered loads of different ways to, to come into this, whether, you know, start at you being on the GB team or start with you being a little kid and all that. But uh, actually, one thing that I really wanted to ask was if you could tell us about how you how you and, and your brother, do you guys got, got in it at, at the same time, didn't you? Um, within six months of each other. Right. Okay. So I don't want to talk about your brother too much. When he di- when he figures out technology enough to respond to someone's message, he can have his own podcast. So <laughs> could you tell us about uh, how you started climbing and what it was like being in a genuine Scott Rock famous Willie Gorman class? So yeah, I started. It must have been summer of twenty thirteen. Um, so I was almost twelve. Um. And Daniel had already been climbing for about six months. Um, he needed to learn how to climb because he was finishing his round of the Munros and um, he needed to learn how to climb to do in-pin. Um, yeah. So he took a few lessons. And then this was just after Daniel had actually finished the Munros and he'd gone back to climbing because he wanted to continue doing it. Um, so I then got a bit curious at, what's Daniel doing every Saturday? You know, I want to go do that. <laughs> so... Um, Went along to a few sessions and, yeah, just really continued from there. I, I seem to recall quite a few tears being shed because I was very scared of heights. Um, but for some <laughs> reason, I ended up continuing to go back. And, um, yeah, Willie was one of the first coaches at Glasgow Climbing Centre that um, I had for one of my weekend sessions. And I distinctly remember him, like giving me the wee pep talk of you don't have to go any higher than you want to you know it's all about the fun just don't scare yourself too much and give yourself the fear and things like that and um I think at the end of the session he took us up the Glasgow Climbing Centre spire and um 
the very first session I did, I, I was not having it. I was not abseiling out of that. He was not getting me out of that window. Um, and he was trying to convince me. He was trying to like nudge me along and give me the confidence to do it, but I never did it. Um, but then the second session I had with him, I ended up doing it. So it was like big gains for me. Big gains. Nice. But yeah, well, he was great. He was, he's an absolute icon. <laughs> he is, but, yeah. he is. That, honestly, this is such a sweet moment because he spoke about you guys in his interview as well. Aww. This is like full circle. <laughs> yeah, this this is the, this is the the feel good factor that this podcast has been missing. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> but yeah, I still see him about and things like that, and it's like it's weird because he actually was one of the very first people like I met in climbing that was significant. Um, yeah, I've got loads of people like even you working with us at Youth Squads. Um, it's significant, but Welly must have been one of the very, very first people. Um, so yeah, it's still quite cool to see him about nowadays. He still comes up and chats to me like, oh, how are you getting on? And I'm like, yeah, doing this, doing that. He's like, oh, that's so cool. Probably never would have guessed that you'd be doing that when you were younger based off your first few sessions. Nah, he didn't say that. <laughs> He's not that mean. That's, that's just what I was thinking. He was thinking. <laughs> see, Willie saw the potential in you. He saw it. <laughs> Um, and, and speaking of your potential, you are uh, a competition climber, which, wow. to be honest, I, I get the feeling that there's a there's a lot of our listeners don't really relate to the competition climbing thing too much. Uh, I, I get the feeling that a lot of our listeners are mountaineers, outdoor climbers. Who, yeah. Um, so, you know, this might be something a bit different for them um, to hear from a genuine international level competition climber yeah it's like it's weird being a comp climber in like scotland i have to say why is that because i think like scotland's actually not got that big a comp scene i mean when you go to competitions you wouldn't know it because there are hundreds of people there yeah. but <laughs> even when you go like daniel and i go training at the climbing center it's all people that are training for their project boulder at dumby or I wanted to go on a big trip to Sky and do the cooling ridge for the day and things like that. It's never, there aren't really competition climbers when we go to comps um, yeah. that we recognize from our day-to-day -day training. Um, but yeah, I can, I can definitely understand why. I mean, Scotland has such a landscape, you wouldn't want to go into comps if that was really there. I can definitely see it. But um, for me, like, a lot of the reason I got into sport in general was that I'm ridiculously competitive. Um, <laughs> and you'll yep. know from knowing me from the younger the younger me days um, that yep. me and Daniel had a lot of influence over us getting into competitive climbing. Um, I think even on the GCC youth squad, um, a lot of the kids on that squad did do competitions, but Daniel and I just took it to the whole next level. Like we were getting competitive over our four by four sets, you know? Yeah, like, I remember was, this so yeah. well. <laughs> so, so well, yeah. it was great. I think for comps, like, I love the feeling of working really hard and having a sort of date as a goal to train for. Um, I feel like with project bouldering and things, like, you know that if you don't get it on the day you're training for, you can go back the next day and things. And I yeah. like that pressure of knowing that you've got, like, one day to do it. And if you're not ready for that day, it's not going to happen. And it just really pushes me forward with that. And I don't know what it is because a lot of people don't have that, but I just, I like knowing that that's there and that if yeah. it doesn't go well, I'm moving on to the next one. 
it's fine. But I like having the pressure that I need to perform on a certain day. On that day, yeah. Yeah, I I used to like that about the competitions, but I, I could never take it too seriously because it kind of, it, like, the pressure kind of hampered my performance at the end of the day. Like, I, I had to perform on the day and had to be in the right headspace, but that headspace for me needed to be actually quite relaxed. So it was a really fine balance for me, but I totally understand what you're meaning. You know, the you know, the pressure that comes with having to perform in that moment and be your best in that moment is it's a really cool thing. It is. Um, what is it about, like, aside from, you know, having to perform on that day, like, when we're looking at the actual competitions day, what is it about the competition side of, of climbing that draws you? I think at the very start, it was definitely... This was round about when I was competing in my first um, youth climbing series regional rounds, which took place at all the local climbing centres around me. It was quite a cool day to see everybody your age and everybody that you would class as one of your climbing friends. Because when I was 12, I wasn't really chatting to all the older people. I was seeing anyone my yeah. age and going, oh, friend. Um, so like, <laughs> it was quite cool seeing everybody come to the same place on the same day and want to do the same climbs. And it felt really cool that everybody was there and you know everyone you knew wanted to be at this event. Um, and I actually did feel like the biggest day in the world for me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. There's so many people here. Um, <laughs> I remember my first YCS round was at Glasgow Climbing Centre, which was my local climbing centre at the time. Um, I was on the youth squad there, so I felt instantly more comfortable. But it was quite cool seeing everybody come to my local wall. And I do think a part of comps for everyone that does them, especially the younger people, is seeing their friends and getting to climb with their friends on that day because you meet so many people through competitions and you always know that if you go to this competition you're going to see this person there and that person and maybe um, people that you only see at competitions. I remember when I was doing the regional YCS rounds um, it was Scotland South and Scotland North um, and although they are smaller regions compared to some of the other ones in the UK I never saw the Edinburgh people um, until YCS days. So um, I was really, well, I was, I really am still close friends with um, Lisa Keane, who lives in Edinburgh. So when she came over for YCS, it was like, oh, I'm going to get to climb with Lisa today. This is going to be great, you know? <laughs> um, so like, yeah, I think a lot of young people stick with it and really enjoy it because of the aspect of getting to climb with their mates. Yeah, yeah. It's the social side. It's the, the community that it's, it's, you know, for a, for a lot of climbers that climb in climbing walls, you know, even like the old school guys that just use climbing walls as training for outdoors or whatever, you know, their climbing community is, to be honest, reasonably small within that, you know, within that climbing wall. Yes, they might have, you know, a little bit of a wider community across, across the country or whatever, but youth climbers and young competitors that climb in competitions, their family, their little climbing community is huge. You know, and for, for me and you that have done internationals, you know, we've got friends all around the world. And, you know, that's that's a, such a cool thing for a young climber to have, this huge climbing family. Um, yeah. yeah, I think in Scotland, because people live quite far apart from each other as well. My younger brother's really close with the Langland family. Um, yeah. They're up in Inverness and there aren't that many people up there. So I think for people that live far away from others, it is a way to sort of reconnect with everyone and... Then also just compare yourself to everyone, see how your training's going and see if you're <laughs> slacking a little bit and need to 
pull the finger out or if you're There's actually like... There's the competitive like... element. <laughs> yeah, it was always going to sneak in there, wasn't it? But yeah, um, yeah definitely. the competitive side has a huge impact for me. A lot of people don't, though. A lot of people love competitions just because they yeah. like climbing with other people. So uh, can you tell us about the kind of journey onto the GB team? Like how, how you got onto it? When did you decide to, that you wanted to go for it? So, yeah, it, it actually happened quite fast when I was thinking back about this um, earlier. It felt like, you know, it felt like a whole lifetime. By the time I got into the British team, I was like, wow, I've like worked for this my whole life. And then I was actually thinking about it the other day. It wasn't a ridiculously long length of time. Like everything happens so quickly when you're that age. And um, so I was on the Glasgow youth team um, for a good few years. Um, I think I was still on it when I got onto the British team. Um, yeah, you were. But um, for, I was on the Scottish youth team for three years. Um, and then two years after I started climbing, so this will be the middle year of my Scottish, year, Scottish youth squad time, um, I started going down to England and Sheffield and stuff to compete in the British Championships. Um, and I started doing really well. I think my first British League climbing championships I went down to, I came third, having never even podiumed at a Scottish championship. So it was quite a... It's quite a shock. I was like, oh, this is this stuff's cool. And there are even more people when I go down here. Um, so yeah, started doing that. And um, Daniel then got onto the GB squad in 2016, which obviously meant I was going down to the GB team meets and I was going yeah. to all the competitions he was going to, um, which definitely gave me that motivational side to really train to get onto the British team because Daniel was doing it and there were uh, like even Will Bosey, who was the older Scottish person on the team, was on it. And it was really cool to see these people. I was like, I want to do this. Um, and I got an email just after Daniel got accepted onto the team for the first time saying that I was on what they called the watch list. Um, it's not a thing anymore. Um, they've really changed the way that they select. But back then, you got put on the watch list for a year and they just kept an yeah. eye on you at competitions and things. Um, so having been on that for a year, I managed to get selected, which was really quite cool um, and it felt like the longest year ever because I was like every time I went to a competition <laughs> I was like on edge about oh they could be watching me and stuff but um, it wasn't really like that to be honest they were just more waiting for the results to come in but at competitions I was like looking around like is anyone watching me this is this is quite cool you know um, <laughs> but um, paparazzi following you yeah I know but um <laughs> But um, yeah, so I got into the British squad for the first time in 2017, which was only maybe four years after I started climbing. Um, so it did seem like quite a quick process. But um, I think, yeah, having a younger brother that was already on the squad and stuff definitely pushed that um, a lot more than I maybe would have if I hadn't had him. But um, yeah, and ever since then, it's just felt like the British team's kind of been like circulating around my whole life and a lot of decisions I make are based off of that like even where yeah. I went to university um I had to decide based on you know are there climbing centers available what's the sports program like so I can train how easy is it to get to climbing centers from where I would be living things like that you know really kind of yeah. takes over yeah. your whole life <laughs> uh I I find it really really funny that you recognize it as well because obviously Myself and Christy were, you know, the coaches for you and Daniel back then when you guys got onto the the GB squad, um, and it was it was really funny watching your reaction 
over that over that couple of years because before that um you know you were you were really good in competitions but you know the coming to the training on the monday nights whatever it was you were pretty relaxed about it let's be honest i just st- stuck to the slab wall <laughs> you were coming in for fun you it was super chilled out you didn't worry if you fell off or didn't try hard or whatever it didn't really phase you all that much and then all of a sudden daniel got on the team and it was like a switch flipped in your head and it was like all right hannah's trying now (laughs) it was really funny to watch i think it was just that i saw what being on the british team was like um because obviously the gb team gets funding whereas the scotland youth climbing squad doesn't really um, yeah. And the Scotland squad does have its own team training events, but when I went down to the British team ones, it just felt like a whole different thing. And I think because I was younger than most of the people there as well, it was like, wow, there are a lot of older, really big names here. And yeah. I just wanted to be a part of it. And I was a bit jealous Daniel was a part of it and I wasn't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and Daniel was really enjoying it. He would come back from training days thinking it was just the best thing that he'd ever done. So I think it definitely adds that sort of want aspect. And I think sometimes that's what you need to get training and get off the GCC slab top rope wall, Um, (laughs) which was my favorite place to be, you know? Um, So how's your time on the team been? Uh, Have you got any like best moments, funny stories? Um, It's definitely been a bit up and down for me. Um, Sorry. it's not been the most consistent um, they do change the way they select a lot. So after my year in 2017, which was a great year, um, got to go to my first internationals and it was actually the last year the British team also traveled as a team. You know, I was flying out yeah. on my own and meeting the team at airports and things and it was cool staying at hotels together and things. And it is a real shame, but since then the dynamic of the team has really just changed. Um, yeah, I got dropped from the team at the end of 2017, which I was absolutely devastated about. Um, but to be honest, 2018 ended up being one of the best years in my competition life. Um, I think that dropping really gave me that drive to take my training to the next level. Because as you said, you know, I was relatively relaxed about my training and my climbing. <laughs> and I think even through 2017, I maybe was um, still in that relaxed mindset. Um, And then once it got to 2018, I was on a proper performance training plan. I was taking my training really seriously. I had a training diary where I was writing down everything. Um, And yeah, 2018 ended up being a massive year for me. I think I won my first British Championships. Um, It was my first year in seniors as well. And I ended up qualifying for the senior team um, halfway through the year, having just been dropped from the juniors, which was obviously huge for me. it's just been a bit of a roller coaster. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been a positive experience overall. Um, funny stories wise, I've not really gotten off a lot. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a very funny person. Or, or um, you've not got a lot that you're willing to share on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I tell loads of Daniel's stories, but I think he'd probably kill me. So I'll save that for his podcast. <laughs> oh, please. You know what story I want you to tell? Oh, yeah. I mean... To be honest, he's not going to notice. He's he's not going to listen to this, is he? He's not going to listen to this. No, he's not. So yeah, at the youth climbing series grand final, <laughs> I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. Um, there are about what? How many kids are at the YCS grand final? Like three hundred, and then plus their parents. Three hundred and fifty, yeah. 
Um, so they used to get the, they don't do this anymore either, they used to get the GB team kids in to demonstrate the routes um, live and now they just get demonstrations on video. But um, yeah, so Daniel was doing the demonstrations um, <laughs> and he was on the Rathal comp wall um, doing this lead route and it was obviously quite hard, I think it was like A plus or something. And he was in the roof of this route and he cut loose and was squeezing and squeezed a little bit too hard and let's just say he needed to change his underwear, um, literally. Um, see, this story getting out is Daniel's own fault because Daniel then decided to go and tell Louis Langlands, who was never going to keep it to himself. But yeah, so Daniel came down off the route, my dad was feeling him and said, Dad, I need to get this off and I need to get this rope untied because I really, I need to run to the toilet. Um, and Dad, Dad was like, can I take your harness off and stuff? He's like, I can't take my harness off. It's the only thing keeping it in, you know? Like, oh God. I've never, I actually have thought about this a few times and I can't work out how he managed to do that. Like, I don't think I could if I tried, you know? Like, how do you poo yourself when you're climbing? <laughs> Oh my god, that is so good. <laughs> See, I don't have any funny stories. I think Daniel took all the humour genes. <laughs> he's going to kill me if you oh. tell me this. He's, he's, he won't listen to this. You know he won't. You'll be fine. <laughs> I can't believe I got you to tell that story. Oh, right, composure. Back to it. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, competitions have changed a lot since I was competing, um, you are definitely one of the new uh, dynamic, volume-fueled, gymnastic-style uh, climbers of the, of the new generation. You know, back when I was doing it, it was all who could pull the, on the smallest holds on the steepest wall. Like, that was it. Um, so, yeah, it's changed a lot in the last few years, um, and you're one of the new generation. So, kind of, what's your thoughts on the direction that comps have taken and kind of what the direction that they they are going you know i think the the olympics the format for the olympics is one of the most hot topics of climbing comps discussions for the last couple of years um and obviously the format's changing for 2024 again so yeah what's your thoughts on on you know how it's changed and where it's going so yeah i definitely think comp climbing has now become almost a different discipline of climbing on its own just because the way you even climb is so different um, it's all just huge volumes and big 3d climbs that you've got to work your way around rather than just tiny crimps on a wall um, i wish i could say i was really good at the new style but um i can do volume wrestling i can just about manage that but jumps for me just don't register yeah. um i don't there's something in my brain that tells me throwing myself at a massive bit of wall is not a good idea um and i have been proven right once or twice as well um, and it can be a little bit embarrassing in competitions when it goes wrong um i've had a few oh moments and like me lying on the ground and people are like are you all right i'm like yep it just hurts a little <laughs> got no skin left on my leg but um yeah, I do think it is really cool and it is definitely becoming more of a parkour um, sport and things. I do have my own personal worries though, um, that 
Um, you start to see in World Cups and things when you watch them on the telly that almost every climb has some form of jump or a gymnastic move in it. And I'm starting to feel like it takes away a little bit from some of the other climbing because a lot of the scores do come out as the people that do the jump manage the full climb and the people that don't do the jump don't get anything. And it can, I'm worried that if it, that happens in the Olympics, it will just get a bit boring for some people because doing the jump makes a difference between being able to do the climb and not. Um, it doesn't happen every single time, but I am worried that every climb is just going to become jump or no jump, you know? Yeah. Um, which isn't really what climbing's about, you know, it is cool when you see a cool jump on climbs, but people want to see people really trying hard and managing to just about get to the top of a climb because they're absolutely maxing out all the strength and power they have, you know, we want to see try hard faces and things, you know. Um, but yeah, um, it may end up going slightly backwards if climbing doesn't get a good reception with all these jumps and things going on. it's interesting to see where it will go and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens and um, because even lead climbs now are getting jumps and things in the middle of them and yeah. upside down bat hang moves and stuff which are cool <laughs> in their own right don't get me wrong but it makes it so much easier to fall off from not having actually tried your hardest which I think is what everybody wants to see people want the best climber to be the one who is the fittest is the strongest and can hang on for longer than anyone else not the one who makes the mistake, doesn't make the mistake on the jump where everybody else made the mistake, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I kind of 100% agree with you. Um, like, one of the things I've been watching in the comp scene over the last couple of years is, is exactly that. You know, sometimes competition route setting, they absolutely nail it. And yes, there might be a couple of jumps in some of the problems, but... You know, then there's some really hard moves after it, so it's not a, a given. If you've done the jump, you're going to top the problem. Um, but there's definitely times where you watch it and you're like, well, you know, if they've done that, they're going to do the rest of it. Um, and I like, I don't think, to be honest, British climbers are the best at the whole jumping dynamic thing, unless your name's Max Milne. <laughs> unless your name's Max Milne, I, like I think we are better static, slow, controlled climbers. Um, and yeah, there might it, it concerns me how far away from that that we move. Um, obviously, I think route setting wise, um, it, it's it's kind of easier to make a route hard by making it super dynamic and jumpy, and um, and it's really hard to kind of split the field by just doing really small holds on steep walls because man, everybody is super strong now; like they can all do that kind of thing. Um, for the televised part. Old competitions back in my day, even for me, they were boring to watch. They were horrible. Um, so yeah, like I, I understand like the need to make it a bit more watchable. Um, but like you said, it'll be interesting to see how many people, you know, outside of climbing, switch onto that once the Olympics happen. You know, whether you know people doing a jump and then topping the problem is a given. How how people actually interact with that? Be yeah. interesting to see. Yeah, the um, Olympics is going to be a good one, I think. Um, because we will see how outsiders see climbing. Um, And yeah, I think in competitions, it is becoming more about instead of adding difficulty, you just add risk. And that is the difference between winning and losing, Um, which does sometimes make it more entertaining because people have close calls with slips on slabs or people can't do a jumper getting really close to it. But yeah, I can't help but feel that 
climbers will start to feel like it's taking away from what our sport's really about, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, like, the format for the Tokyo 2020, you know, all the disciplines being combined into the one thing, that was definitely one of the biggest ones for for the entire climbing community being like, well, like, our sport is this. Why are we being lumped in with everything else? Like, that doesn't seem 100% fair. Like, I think we all now understand that they had to do it to get climbing in and 2024 speed climbing's been taken out as a separate discipline now so yeah it'd be interesting to see where it where it goes in the next few years eh? yeah i think yeah i have to say i'm very glad that the 2024 olympics has been split um lead climbing bouldering with one set of medals and speed climbing with the other um yeah. i can't say i'm a fan of speed climbing and um, everyone has <laughs> their own opinions on it but i've I've tried it. I've competed in it. The very first speed competition I did was actually the World Speed Championships in 2017. I'd never yeah. competed in speed before that. Um, but yeah, I just find it really repetitive and I don't. it doesn't use the climbing technique in the same way that lead and boulder do. And I think it, I just don't get with it. Um, but yeah, they had to include all three in the 2020 Olympic format because climbing was only granted one set of medals. So it was a decision yeah. between having all of them combined, picking one. I think the IFSC would have picked lead because it's the traditional form of competition climbing. Um, but the Olympic Committee would have tried to pick speed um, because it's the one that's easiest to understand. Um, yeah. Outsiders to climbing will connect with it much quicker and it will it'll seem a lot more visually appealing um, than somebody falling off the first move of a boulder or getting to the fifth clip on a lead route. Um, mm. But yeah, I do hope that in 2028 it then splits again to have individual medal sets for all three and then maybe there will also be a combined medal. Um, but yeah, I do hope that eventually they all separate out because I think they are individual disciplines in their own right and do have very different reasons for being a discipline. Um, and I do think they deserve all a separate set of medals each. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with that. Absolutely agree with that. Um, so uh, almost kind of moving on from the the competition side, well, kind of not really actually, um, but a bit. climbing mountaineering has you know historically you know back in the day it was the the sport for old men with big white beards. Um, and you know we've we've come a long way from those days. Uh, things have progressed, but it, you know it's still a pretty male-dominated sport. I think we've still got quite a long way to go. Um, and Climb Scotland, obviously, me and Callum working for Climb Scotland, we help run all the national competitions that happen in Scotland, uh, and we can see the kind of gender split that happens in the competition world. And it's it's really interesting to see the you know ten. 7 to 10 year olds, 11 year old kind of group, the girls way outnumber the boys, way outnumber the boys it's brilliant to see um, but then as, as soon as we get into the teenagers that kind of flips and a load of girls drop out, some of them just drop out of the competition, some of them completely drop out of climbing, some of them completely drop out of sport um, so for you being part of that sort of young competition scene um back then now on the the international stage kind of what is your perspective on the sort of gender balance in competitions is it is it getting better is it still similar how do you see it across other countries as well um so yeah um i've definitely always found it quite interesting that in the younger age categories it is completely dominated by girls and young girls wanting to be climbers um 
And I think one of the main reasons for that is a lot of girls come into it from either gymnastics or dancing or something like that, which uses similar muscle groups to climbing. And um, so they immediately try it. And I think a lot of them probably have a little competitive aspect. They're like, oh, I'm better than the boys at this, you know, that's quite cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think having that uplifting feeling of knowing that you've actually got some strength from other things you've done. Um, I came into climbing through dancing. Um, I've been a dancer for nine years before I started climbing, so quite a long yeah. time. Um, I think you probably remember me coming straight from dancing to my youth squad um, section. Yep. But yeah, I think a lot of young girls do start out climbing and find that they are actually quite good at it and really enjoy it. Um, but then, yeah, they do tend to drop off at that sort of teenage adolescence stage. Um, and it's probably not something I've been paying enough attention to, to know whether or not it is getting better or not. Um, but um, through my position on the sports panel, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about later, um, yeah. it is something I'm hoping to tackle, um, which I know is a huge issue across all sports. It's not just for climbing. No, um, not at all. But yeah, definitely the drop-off rate is absolutely huge. Um, the last competition I competed in at a junior level was the Welsh Bouldering Championships. and youth sea girls is always the biggest category which is the youngest of the female categories at these competitions and um, i know at lead climbing comps my dad dreads bailing the youth sea girls because he knows that he's not getting a lunch break because there are so many <laughs> yeah, of them be there all day. You can, it's like whoever gets youth sea girls is really drawing the short straw there <laughs> but um <laughs> but um yeah there were four people in my category at this competition there were four of us and i think in the boys there were there were more there weren't loads but there were maybe 15 and um, so maybe three times the number of the girls um, and it just progressively drops off as you get older um, and when you get to about my age people tend to be GB squad or they're not really competing um, and yeah. it's one or the other and um, most of most of the girls tend to drop off around the age of 15 or 16 if they were taking climbing quite seriously but some of them don't even get to the stage where they want to take it seriously anymore um, and I do think it is something that needs to be tackled. I'm not 100% sure how to. Um, I think there are a few reasons wh why it might be the case. Um, I think climbing as a sport has stereotypes of quite big shoulders. Um, you can have quite a muscular back. You know, I've got really bad posture. I've got like, a little bit of a hunch. <laughs> um, and a lot of girls maybe feel pressure not to look like that, you know. Yeah. Um, definitely from non-climbers, I've actually found from girls the pressure comes from more. I think a lot of people think that the pressure on girls to not have shoulders and things maybe comes from guys. I found that the pressure comes from girls a bit more. I think girls are a little bit more judgy and they're the ones that you want to be friends with um, when yeah. you're that age, you know? So yeah. you want yeah. to impress them and be able to fit in with them. So it can sometimes lead to a barrier like that. Um, but definitely with guys, I think there is not so much a pressure not to be active or be sporty or have an athletic figure. It's not ever really been a thing. Whereas with girls, sometimes it can be a bit of a pressure not to look that way, um, which yeah, can totally. maybe lead to a lot of girls not wanting to continue through their adolescent teenage years. Yeah, no, like I 100% agree. I, I, I remember hearing from a, a young girl who, when she was younger, before... To, 13 she used to climb loads a couple of times a week um, and then as soon as she got to like 12 13 she just stopped climbing com completely stopped 
Um, and then, you know, four or five years later, she's arrived back at the climbing wall and, you know, people were asking, you know, why did you drop out? Um, and she was saying that in school she was being bullied by her, even by her friends because climbing was going to give her man shoulders, you know. And it's like that's that's the kind of body image that unfortunately is associated with climbing. Um, you know, I don't know whether that's, you know, a, a genuine thing that every climber gets big man shoulders or whether it's just the, the models that we're putting out into the non-climbing society. This is the the, the body image they have. Um, but yeah, I 100% agree. I think a lot of the pressure comes from your own peers, your own friends, um, your own gender, not not specifically just from, from the guys. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to know how to tackle that actually um you know it's something that we've been desperately trying to to figure out for for a while is how to how to tackle this and have you got any ideas where where it might come from i mean it's a really difficult thing um through my role at sports scotland that i'm gonna try and tackle it as a whole issue in sport um yeah and i think a lot of it comes from actually trying to change the mind of the people who are being the judgmental people you know even when I was younger, I would go into school on a non-uniform day wearing like like a rab t-shirt or like mascara yeah. approach shoes or something. And I would get comments like, what are you wearing? Like, that was just what I wore. And I grew up, you know, I used to go on holiday to the north of Scotland and we'd do mountaineering and things, you know. So I, that was just my wardrobe. And, it, and, you know, I wasn't wearing the latest trends and things like that. And that's not even yeah. anything to do with necessarily climbing. And that's the kind of thing people are getting judged for. I mean, I know what you mean about the man shoulders thing. I've definitely had that. I had a horrible comment from someone after my prom in school when I obviously wore my big dress and got my hair done and things and felt like a bit of a girly girl for a while. And somebody said, you know, your shoulders don't look right in that dress. You should not be wearing a dress like that. And I'm like, fancy saying that to someone, you know? Horrible comments. People put put other people off by doing this. You know, people don't want to hear that and they don't want to even know that people might be thinking that. Um, yes. But yeah, I do think one of the main issues will be trying to tackle it, not from the end of the people who are potentially going to receive this kind of treatment, but the people who might end up giving it, um, which is obviously a huge thing to tackle because you then end up having to reach a huge number of people and get this message yeah. across. Um, but yeah, I do think if enough people put work into it, it may have a huge impact on the number of girls that decide to stay active and stay climbers as well. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And like you said, it's it's not just climbing; it's across all sports um, that, that that we have this issue. And I think it is just putting the right message out there, saying that you know this kind of body image that you get from doing sports, even if it is giving you slightly muscular shoulders or muscular legs or whatever, that's a good thing to have that that you know that's that's a healthy image um and you know that shouldn't be put down at all um we've got a long way to go to tackle that unfortunately it's it's a really horrible horrible thing and i I don't quite know where where to start um really you know we've we've got programs out there that are you know specifically designed to to help women get into sport or feel more comfortable in sport or whatever but like you said it's trying to get the message out to the people who aren't doing the sport to to stop putting the pressure on the body image thing and that, that that's a really tough ask that's a really tough tough thing to do um uh, i think that goes way bigger than way bigger than just 
sports and sports Scotland that that goes into all media. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it ends up being the people that continue doing it are the people that can block that out and don't care what other people think, which just shouldn't be the way it is. You know, everybody should have an equal chance at being happy and doing a sport yeah, they want to yeah. do. But yeah, the way I was always um, told to put it, because I definitely struggled with mentally accepting that people were going to see you in a way that maybe you didn't want to be seen. Um, and with one of my older, older, um, coaches from a while back, um, Ian Sneddon, who I worked with quite a lot, um, the way he told me to look at it and the way I still think about it a lot of the time is, you know, your body is going to look the way it looks because of the work that you're putting into it, essentially. And, you know, if you've got big shoulders and stuff, great, you know, they're going to allow you to do so much more and the more you can do with your body, the more you're going to achieve with it and the better you're going to feel about it, you know? Um, so I always just try and think about myself as if I do have big shoulders, I have them because I put so much hard work into training them and making them strong enough to be capable of what I'm trying to do with them, you know, and that wouldn't happen if I didn't put the hard work I put into my training. Um, but yeah, it's a really hard thing to sometimes accept and you definitely have good days and bad days with it. No, it's it's like your your body, the, the, the body shape that you end up with is is the prize for the effort you put in you know, yeah. and it's, it's turning that into a positive thing like oh I, i've got you know slightly bigger shoulders than you know that other girl in school or whatever and it's like well yeah i put the effort in i've earned these yeah people forget how long it takes to build up big shoulders i mean i've seen yeah. i've always taken photos of myself climbing and i've seen photos and I look at myself when I was younger and my arms just look completely different. I've got two pictures on my fingerboard at home that were only taken like eight months apart. And in one of them, I look super skinny, super scrawny. My arms don't get much bigger from my forearm downwards. And then on this next one, I've got these massive delts. And I'm like, Jesus, where did these come from? You know, <laughs> like it looks quite cool. I'm like, wow, you know, I, I like worked really hard that summer. That looks, you know, I can definitely see yeah. the gains. And I think praising that will be a big part of trying to keep people especially in climbing you know i always had the um thing in youth squad where you know we were getting told who can do the plank for the longest and stuff like that and who can do the most pull-ups and it was praised as you know feeling strong and yeah. um it was never seen as a bad thing ever in climbing to have big shoulders i've never been judged by a climber ever for having big shoulders or looking muscular and things actually it's more of a compliment um yeah. But yeah, I think it is, if, absolutely. if that gets ingrained to you from a younger age, maybe you'll be able to look past some people that maybe don't see it that way. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think that the, I know we've, we've said it a couple of times, you know, the, the, the big shoulders thing or, um, or whatever. Do you actually see that as representative of what female climbers in general look like? So I don't actually think there is a representative of female climbers. So if you look at some of the big names out there in competition climbing that people will know, Yanya Garnbrett does not look like some sort of bodybuilder or anything. No. She's really skinny and her arms don't look, I mean, her forearms look really muscular. I'll give her that. She looks really impressive in that department, but her yeah. shoulders don't look anything special. I wouldn't see her wearing a t-shirt or a vest top just on the street doing her shopping or something and think she was a climber. You know, your different bodies work in different ways. There are people like Petra Klingler, the Swiss boulderer, 
is Swiss boxing champion as well, and she is an absolute unit. Like she just yeah. looks so strong, and I would definitely think when I saw her, you know, you're a boxer, you're a climber, or you're something like that, because she's just built up all this muscle. Um, and some people definitely have a much larger capacity to build muscle than others. So yeah, yeah, female climbers all look very different. I do think sometimes in male climbers there is more of a generalised look about them, but even then. Will Bosey, who's obviously Scottish, is quite skinny um, yeah. and doesn't look huge or anything. And then you've got people like Jan Hoyer, who are absolutely massive and completely jacked, you know. So um, it just depends on your body type. And some people um, may wish they looked slightly different. Um, but yeah, everybody's body works in different ways. And you definitely see a huge difference in climbing with some people. Some people like Yanya may when they're younger have wished they did have bigger shoulders or wish they could look bigger and more muscular but um at the end of the day she's done like 46 lead world cups and only missed out on two finals so her body's clearly yeah. not holding her back that much you know <laughs> not at all not, not at, at all. all um and it's the same with muscular climbers you know some of them might wish they were much skinnier or lighter but they can still be extremely successful at what they're doing you know so I don't think it's ever a bad thing to have a body that looks different to other people's, you know? No, um, and not. Everybody's going to be able to use theirs in a different way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, one thing that, you know, I I would really hope to see in... Uh, with the girls that do end up dropping out of competitions, you know, in that sort of teenage bracket, that they don't completely drop out of the sport, you know? I think the through the media that we put out there, the 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 role models that we use, there is, you know, there is a, a kind of body image that goes along with that. Um, whether that's representative or not, um, that's the thing that kind of puts girls off the competitive element. If I compete at this level, I'm going to get, you know, the, this kind of body image. Um, but, you know, I don't think that that is, like you said, there is no representative body image for just climbers in general. So I'd really hope that, you know, if that kind of thing does put girls off competing at high level, that they don't completely drop out of the sport because, I mean, like you said, you can look like anything and still be a really good climber. Yeah, I think it is a real shame that when people drop out of competitions, they just drop out of the sport completely. And it doesn't, yeah. it feels like they're skipping a few steps, you know, like if you're not feeling like competing, maybe think about, you know, just going to the wall maybe once a week and then maybe you'll find you're missing it and want to do it more, but you don't want to compete and that's okay. And I do think maybe a lot of younger kids see competitions as the only way to climb. Um, and I do actually think this lockdown has helped with that because I think so many younger people have discovered outdoor climbing and are becoming really keen on it and may actually find they prefer it. Um, yeah. I know a few competition climbers that I've competed with that have dropped out in recent years and have just decided they wanted to do outdoor climbing and focus on getting some cool boulders done, getting projects, um, and they're still training really hard. They just don't want to compete. Whereas when I was a lot younger, um, I think my very first YCS final, um, I looked at the results a while back. I came, I came like almost dead last. Um, I didn't do very well, but um, everybody I saw um, on the list, almost all the names had dropped out of climbing completely. Um, even the ones that were in the podium positions when I was in UC, so maybe when I was 13 years old, 
aren't even climbing anymore. They're not, they didn't just drop out of competitions. They just dropped out of the sport. And yeah. it's a real shame because obviously a lot of these people, they'd qualified for the YCS final. So they were obviously very talented and didn't even want to continue climbing just for fun. They obviously decided that even just going to the wall once a week with some friends wasn't going to be fun for them anymore, which is a real shame, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I saw the exact same thing with the crew that I was climbing with back in the day as well. Exact same thing. Um, and yeah, like obviously, obviously me and Callum with our jobs, we, we help run all the competitions and everything, but we are, we really try and push, you know, the, the social side of climbing, just going climbing with your friends for a bit of fun. Definitely try and push the outdoor climbing thing. Um, with everybody that we see, everybody that's in competitions, even those that tell us that they've got no interest in outdoor climbing at all, we'll try and get them out there because for many, many, many climbers, even if you are at a high level of competition, there comes an end point where you're going to drop out of the competition side at some point, whatever that is. Um, and if you don't have something else in the sport that kind of interests you or, or ties you into it, if you've not tried anything else, then, yeah, you're going to drop out of it because competitions was your entire world. Um, whereas, you know, if you've got something that you also enjoy in climbing apart from the competitions, then when comps stop, you've got that other thing that keeps keeps tying you in there. So, yeah, no, I, I, I hope that there's loads of other climbers can listen to the words you're saying as well and... and understand that there are other ways to go climbing it's not just not just competitions and just because you're in comps doesn't mean that you're gonna look a certain way climb a certain way or 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 live a certain way you know yeah i really hope that more young people start to sort of ask questions about what else is there in climbing because climbing itself i mean mountaineering has got this huge umbrella under it that just has so many things in it and then climbing's actually got quite an umbrella under it too in that bracket um, competitions are only a small part of that and I do think it is important that young people are aware of that from quite a young age because you know I was guilty of it when I was younger as soon as I started climbing it was straight what competitions are there um, yeah. and it felt like all the young kids that I was climbing with were just competing I never felt like they were wanting to go just start climbing outdoors together and do that regularly I was part of a small outdoor climbing club when I was much younger um, but it was a once a month thing. It wasn't a, you know, we're actually an outdoor climbing club. You know, we want to, yeah. we want to take kids outdoors regularly and we want this to be a main part of their climbing life. It was more like, oh, we're going to go outside today. This is a bit different. You know, it wasn't, this yeah. is, this is part of climbing too, you know, just as much as your competitions and youth squad nights are, you know? So yeah, I do think that it might be something that this lockdown has really taught a lot of younger people my age. I know, Daniel was going out to Dumby an awful lot over the um, lockdown periods we've had. Um, I know little Hannah Kerr has been doing a lot of stuff outdoors as well. And, you know, they're both GB team climbers that have been taking competitions really seriously for years now and have now discovered outdoor climbing to be a really important part of their climbing life as well that they do want to invest a lot of time in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um. So you just moving on a little bit. You mentioned earlier the Young People's Sport Panel. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What what is the the Young People's Sport Panel? What do you what does it allow you to do? What do you want to achieve? And um, so yeah, I'm part of cohort five of the Young People's Sport Panel, which is run by Sport Scotland. And um, it's been going for about ten years now. So every panel has two years on it, and it is twenty 
young people from all across Scotland between the ages of 14 and 24. So I'm kind of the middle of the road um, in the age bracket. Um, and yeah, there are people from all over the place. There are lots of people from Glasgow, lots of people from Edinburgh. There are a few people from Inverness, some people from Aberdeen, some people from down at the borders. Um, and we just all have a shared interest in sport and promoting the benefits of sport to people all across Scotland. Um, and yeah, it's been going for, as I say, 10 years now, and each panel has had different aims and different things they want to do. Um, I'm the first climber that has ever been a part of it, um, which is quite cool. Awesome. Um, I'm really hoping that it will maybe give climbing a bigger name as a form of physical activity in Scotland. Um, it's great to see that there are actually a few other people on the panel who don't directly do climbing, but are really big into their hill walking and mountaineering. Oh, cool. um, one person lives not that far from Sky, and they just spend all their time out in the mountains, which is really cool. And so I do think that one of the aims this um, panel will have will be to promote outdoor activity to younger people. And I think with the lockdowns having had a huge impact on gyms opening and lots of indoor physical activities had its limits, um, it really has encouraged a lot of people to get out walking or running outdoors or doing anything using the landscape that we have in Scotland. So I do think it will be a really positive thing um, over the next few years. But yeah, the panel tends to have three different groups within it that all work on different areas of Scottish physical activity. Um, and yeah, I joined it, um, I was recommended it by you actually. Um, <laughs> um, I didn't know really what I wanted to do with it. I knew I was really interested in sport in general um, because I was head girl at my school last year. My main aim for that was to sort out what was happening with sport in my school. Um, right. A lot of young kids weren't being active in my school and even at break times, people weren't going outside or weren't even going for a walk. They were just sat indoors beside their lockers waiting for the bell to ring and I wanted to sort it out. So um, we opened more playgrounds up and things. We found that actually a lot of young kids didn't want to go out and be active because the older kids were using the pitches and they didn't want to interrupt or intrude on that. Um, so we opened a new playground up for the younger years and actually really worked to get a few of them out. It only happened for a few weeks before the lockdown came into place. Um, ah, right. So I don't know if it's actually been continued or not, but um, things like that um, was what I saw that the sport panel had been doing on a much larger scale. So I definitely thought when I read about it that it would be something I wanted to pursue and have more involvement in. Um, and I think it will be a really positive thing um, to get climbing seen as a more important part of people's physical activity because there are so many climbers and mountaineers in Scotland. Um, and I do think that they deserve to be a part of that setup as well. Awesome. Yeah, no, no absolutely. Like, it is you know even with with young climbers young mountaineers it is definitely growing into this into an actual sport rather than just a recreation thing as it as it used to be back in the day um so having it more representative in the sort of mainstream sporting world is yeah brilliant and i think like you you are definitely one of the best people to try and bring that forward um like with your your history and your passion for it is yeah absolutely you were the, the right person to go for this oh thank you how long have you got on the panel? You said two years. 
So yeah, it's a two-year-long position, roughly. Um, if they think that pe the panel needs more time, they actually delay applications for the next one. So I first right. applied for the panel back in March, but they didn't finish off the second interviews until around about October, just because they wanted to keep the past panel in during the lockdown, just because they kind of yeah. knew what they were doing more than us. Um, so yeah, it'll be roughly until towards the end of 2022, maybe into 2023. Um, so cool. I'm hoping that over those two years, I'll have plenty of time to get loads done. And I'm hoping that young people in climbing actually take up the opportunity they have to maybe speak to me about things they want to change in sport and things they think would be beneficial to them. Yeah. So how can people give their opinions or ask questions or anything? How, how, can, they, how can they contact you? Um, so there are a few different routes. You can contact me directly. I have my Instagram is quite... Um, a big part of how I communicate with everybody um, um, my sport panel stuff mainly happens over Twitter because that's where most of Sport Scotland's um, partners and sponsors and things are and also Sport Scotland have a sport hour every month which um, is done on Twitter as well people can post in their questions to that um, also I'm sure if people really wanted to get in contact they would contact Climb Scotland and you could put me in touch with them and yep, also absolutely. if anyone sees me around a climbing centre at any time I'm always up for a chat so um, I hope <laughs> people see me as quite approachable and do come forward with anything they want to chat about or would like me to put forward because I'm supposed to be a representative for young people but I also want to be a representative for just climbing in general. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know you've said that people can come and talk to you at the wall. That means you're not going to get any climbing done now. People are just going to be bombarding you with questions. Assuming they get back to the climbing centre anytime soon. Assuming we get back to the walls. Oh my God, yeah, that made me so sad. So <laughs> Why sad. did I just say that? Oh, it's, it's so tragic. Like, I feel like I've, oh, it, it hurts so much. I'm absolutely, no joke, this is going to sound really bad, but I'm dreading going down to tier three because everybody else can go climbing in tier three and I can't because there's no climbing wall in my council area. So I'm just oh. going to be sat here watching everybody climb and be like, please go down to tier two because I want to climb. <laughs> yeah. How old are you now? Um, 18. I'm almost 19 now. Yeah. You, you don't get the under 18 exemption anymore. Aww. No, it's really sad. Sad times. I have a mental, I think I'm younger, but I don't think that qualifies. Sorry, I still think I'm six. I think a lot of people think you are. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> my, my life motto, uh, growing old is inevitable, but growing up is optional. I think that suits you pretty well. I, it, I think it does. it does. I'm not sure when I overtook you in mental age. It was probably quite early on from when I started to know you. Yeah, I think you probably started mentally older than me, to be honest. Daniel's still with you. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Right. Although Daniel is now like six foot two. I don't know if you've seen him recently. He is massive. Jesus. And he's got a six foot nine arm span. What? He looks like a gorilla. Not even kidding. His arms are like down by his knees. He... <laughs> six foot nine arm span. Something like that. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like on our home board, he can span from one end to the other. I can't I can hardly even do half. I feel tiny. I stand beside him. I don't even reach his ears anymore. I'm actually <laughs> tiny. Like, if, it's if he flaps hard enough, he'll fly. I know. And he's got these Jeez. huge legs. He's a large in men's clothing now. It's unbelievable. 
So, kind of just round off, um, what does what does the future look like for for Miss Smith post COVID? Obviously, once the walls are back open, once we can travel and all that again, whenever that might be. Yeah, so um, I'm still on the. This is my last year on the GB Junior climbing team. Very yeah. sad. Mm-hmm. Um, sad times. If this season even happens, um, I am still on the senior squad. So competitions are still my main goal at the moment. Um, and I'm working towards um, trying to maintain a consistently high space in the GB climbing sector. Um, it's probably going to have a little bit of a dip now with the lockdown. I think I am the only um, senior team member that has been living in Scotland for most of these lockdowns. And so obviously there's different levels of who's been able to climb and who's not. Yeah, so I yeah. think it will take time for me to get back to where I potentially was. Um, and yeah, having been on the senior team for three n- years now, I've still not actually competed. So um, just I had exams that clashed and I had junior competitions that clashed, so it never really yeah. happened. Um, so yeah, I want to do my first senior competitions, which will be really, really cool. Um, I'll probably be a little bit starstruck at them, to be honest, but it'll be cool <laughs> anyway. Um, and yeah, just see where my competition climbing life goes. Um, I'm also at university um, at the moment. I'm studying at Edinburgh University. Um, I'm on their elite sport program as well. I'm actually the third ever climber to be on that. So climbing is awesome. quite big in Edinburgh. Um, Natalie Berry was on it in 2009 or 2010. Uh, one of my gym coaches used to know her. So um, mm-hmm. it's a bit bizarre. Um, and then Ida Remska, who is obviously Slovenian, um, is still there as well. So we're both on that. Um, so yeah, I'm working towards using the gym more and things, which I've never done. Um, so yeah, I think there are some big gains to be made in my climate at the moment, and I'm pretty excited to see where it goes, to be honest. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I, we we all wish you the best of luck with the competition scene once we get back up and running. Um, and I can't wait to see you on some uh, YouTube Live IFSC senior team extravaganzas in the future. <laughs> we'll see. I'll give you a shout <laughs> if I ever do. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for sitting down with me. That was that was really good. Like I said, I think you're definitely one of the best personalities to take forward the the young people's sport panel, take forward climbing into that. Um, you, With your experience and, and everything you've done, you're definitely the right inspirational person to be taking this on. So, yeah, awesome. Cool. Can't wait to see thank what you, you come up with. Yeah, me too. Hopefully it'll be a positive thing. Hoping so. I think it will be. I think it will be. Cool, thank yeah. you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much to Hannah for sitting down with me. I think you guys will all agree with me that for her age, Hannah is super switched on to what's going on in in, in her world, in the sport, where it's going. Um, and I think she's she's had some really, really good thoughts um, on, on the current state of climbing and what the, the future holds. Um, really awesome to hear from Hannah. A young person in the game, in the competition world, um, the future of the sport. Uh, Really good to hear from her. So thank you very much to Hannah Smith for sitting down. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And as always, when we get back out there, when the walls open soon, do your buddy checks.